Great, let's pray together. Father, I'm asking that you'd really help us this morning. Whenever we dig into your word, it gives us an invitation. An invitation to step into what you're asking of us. And with every invitation comes a choice that we uh, have to make. And out of that invitation and that choice leads to transformation in our lives. So would you open up our hearts and our lives that we might hear together what you want to say to us. Would you help us in the way that we think? Would you help us in the acts of the wills of our hearts. For you have the words of eternal life. And so be our help and our guide, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in... uh, Week three together of uh, a series called Influencer based on the life of Joseph. Story of Joseph in so many ways is dead simple. He was uh, a young, ordinary lad living in relative obscurity. And God put his hand on his life. God began to speak to him about what one day would be true. And as we saw last week, God put a dream Uh, a vision in his heart of all that one day would be true. Uh, And it was a dream, a vision that was going to hold on to Joseph's life through all kinds of difficulties and circumstances that would hold on to his life through thick and thin until one day there was breakthrough and he soared into what God's ultimate purpose had been for uh, his life. And in so many ways, that story is our story. God puts his hand on us. We might think we're just ordinary. We might think that we're living somewhere in obscurity, that our life amounts to not very much. But God put his hand on us. He gives us dreams and purposes. Uh, He reveals his plans to us that we too might navigate our way through the journey of life, breaking through to the purposes that God has uh, for us. Uh, And we talked about last week the way God puts those dreams and visions into our lives, into our hearts, how we need to listen to them, to tune into them, to fan them into flame, to grab hold of them and so on. Because it is the calling of our lives, whether it be, uh, uh, wherever it might be, To become influencers for God's kingdom. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It is his good plan for us that wherever he's placed us, that we might be that salt and that we might be that light. I'm going to think a little bit this morning about how that works out within families. I need your help to think of family in its broader sense. Does it apply to biological families? Yes, absolutely it does. But family is much more than uh, our biological family. Families is the the people that God calls us to share our lives with, the, the network of relationships that make up our lives, the oikos 
uh, uh, the, the term that we often use. Greek term meaning household, those who live interdependently and interconnected one with another. And the reason we're thinking about family today is that ironically, it was Joseph's family that nearly sabotaged his dream almost before it got out of the ground. So no sooner had Joseph had these dreams about what God would one day do in and through his life, than his family seemed to rise up and sabotage it. His father sends him out into the fields to meet his brothers, and we'll remind ourselves how reckless that would be in a moment's time. And his brothers, as soon as they saw him coming, plotted, as it said in our reading today, to kill him. So the very people that should have created a secure, confident, nurtured environment for Joseph were actually the very people that were undermining what God was doing in his life. The very people that should have created a a springboard into which Joseph should fly are in our story the very people that are undermining the work of God that's already taking place. And that's the story of families, isn't it? Families can be absolutely brilliant. They can, they can provide this framework that helps us grow in boldness and confidence, a place we can step out from and come back to, a place where we know we belong and we know who we are and we know what we're about, that gives us energy and confidence as we go out into the world. That can be family. And we all need that. Which is why when it doesn't work, or perhaps in your experience you feel like it hasn't worked, it's so painful It can be so debilitating. It can so mess us up on the inside and the out. It's God's plan that we're in families that build us and create a launch pad for all that he has for us into the world. And when our families are not that, it becomes sometimes so hard, so painful and so destructive. So if we as a community of God's people are going to win at any level then we have to win at the family community level. Winning at celebration, that'll count for something. But winning at the family level, that bedrock of relationships from which we can launch into the things God asks us to do will be absolutely critical. And as you've heard me say, uh, perhaps in all kinds of different ways and in different places, what we need in our community Uh, and our big sense of community, is a whole network of interrelating communities that build that strong foundation and that springboard into what God has for us. You'll notice that when Jesus began his ministry, that's exactly what he created. He gathered a family around him from which his ministry uh, could and would and was eventually launched. So we have to see it work at the family level. And that's why I'm going to pause this week and next to think about Joseph's father today, Jacob, and next week, Joseph's brothers, because they were all somewhat less than what they should have been. The issue for Jacob seems to be this in these verses. He had become too busy, busy in quotes, for his family. Somewhere along the line, Jacob had become too preoccupied too distracted, too unconcerned to appreciate what was going on 
with his children. The result of his disengagement was to turn out to be massive. As you know, your brothers, it says, this is verse 13, Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. Jacob, too busy for his family. What had gone on in Jacob's world that he was sending his youngest favoured son out into the fields with his brothers that hated him and had already murdered a whole village. Remember that story. What was Jacob thinking? Had Jacob become so disengaged with his family, did he really have absolutely no idea how much the brothers hated Joseph? Was he totally switched off to the dynamics that Joseph had fought with his brothers since the day they were all born, that he would send Joseph out into the fields and expect everything to be fine? In fact, was Jacob even thinking at all? Was he unaware of the danger? It would seem so. Was he unaware what these men were capable of? It would seem so. Did he have no idea what the impact would have been to have given Joseph a fancy coat? It's interesting, isn't it, that the coat... um, gets a, a big mention in lots of kind of retellings of the story, that the coat was a long ornamental robe um, that was just in stark contrast to the clothes they would have normally worn, and the clothes they would have normally worn were clothes fit for purpose, and that purpose was to work. So effectively, Jacob gave Joseph this big gown that effectively said, you're too precious, you're too special, you don't need to work like the rest of your brothers. I mean, how's that going to go down? in the family. Try that if you dare as a parent. It is a strategy, but dare I say it, not a very good one. So there's all this dynamic going on, and Jacob seems completely clueless. And it's not the first time that he seems to be so disengaged and disinterested that as a father in the family, he completely misses the plot. When Dina was raped, you may remember, and then the brothers killed the whole village as a retaliation, Jacob does nothing. In fact, that's not quite true. He does something. He gets a little annoyed about the reputation, his own reputation, and how that might be at stake because of what had happened. Did he reach out to his daughter? Nothing. Did he sort out the the, the sons that had been murdered? No, nothing. And then when Reuben sleeps with his mistress, Bilhar, remember that story? Um, Sleeps with Rachel's mistress, Bilhar, so the brother of his half-sister. Is that the right way around anyway? It doesn't matter. It's one way around. Really complicated family scenario. What does Jacob do? Absolutely nothing. And so he's passive. He's distant. He's uninvolved. He's too busy for his family On every level. So what do we make of that? What does does that speak. Into our. Personal reality. What does that say. Into our. Current. Context. When family is disintegrating. Pretty fast. To say the least. 
one of the things I think it reminds us of, and this unfortunately is directed at the men, one of the things that it reminds us of is that it's very easy for there to be a strong trait of passivity in men. It's not hard, generally speaking, sweeping generalizations for a moment, but generally generalizations are true, that's why they're generalizations. There is a passive trait. Adam, as in Adam and Eve, what was Adam doing when Eve sinned? Where where was he? How busy was he? How distracted was he? What other things did he have on his mind? What was he doing? And so right at the beginning in that picture of how the world went skew if and Adam and Eve turned their back on God, you had this image of Adam being nowhere when he should have been somewhere. Just might need to help him, Chris, who doesn't fall. You need Adam to be some, was nowhere when actually he should have been somewhere and it could have been a totally different story. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for your grace. Yeah, thanks, Claire. We just ask for your grace and your peace. Sense of your presence. Thank you that you are able to reach deep into people's lives. Thank you that you are the hope of the world. And we ask in the name of Jesus that we'd see you at work in a transforming way. Help us to be visible demonstrations of love and grace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, there are in, there is a, 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 a frailty, a weakness uh, towards passivity, and that comes through sometimes in the way that we father. Uh, And it causes me, anyway, I don't know about you, to think about what are our weaknesses as fathers. Now, again, if you're a mother, some of these things apply to you. If you're not a father biologically, then you, all of us, need to be fathering some people. We're all called to be discipling others. So the people that are around you, that you have a kind of relational responsibility for, where where is your weakness in your uh, fathering? So, we saw that Jacob uh, was way too passive. In fact, ironically, at other times, he was way too controlling. Perhaps when, um, uh, uh, not perhaps, definitely, when uh, Rachel wanted to, um, uh, Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, and, uh, uh, sorry, yeah, Jacob wanted, and, he, uh, and, and the uncle gave, um, not, gave Leah, you can see how that angered Jacob in such a way that when the family came along and the two wives came along and were competing one with another, Jacob came very controlling in that situation. And then at other times, he was incredibly passive in that same situation. And so it's not we're one thing or another. We can be multiple things and different shades of gray as we go through. So sometimes we can be way too passive. Sometimes as fathers can be way too controlling. Uh, that forces children to feel like they need to be uh, either perfectionists or makes them terrified that they'll fail. Either perfectionist or terrified. They're perfectionist because a controlling father says nothing is good enough. I've got to get it right. Or I'll always get it wrong because nothing is good enough. Fathers can be inconsistent uh, 
as well, leading to confusion and it robs the, the home of that sense of safety and security and, and all the rest of it. But we're thinking typically this morning uh, about this, this strain of passivity that we see in Jacob uh, too many times. So imagine Joseph for a moment. He's been sent out into the fields and uh, he's just wandering around. In fact, it says that uh, a man found him, verse 15, wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? Of course, Joseph is looking for his brothers, but I suspect half hoping that he won't find them. How, How can he disobey his father and not go to his brothers? But how can he go to his brothers? So, you know, have you ever had something you know you need to do, but don't really want to do it? And so you just keep putting it off, don't you? And he's wandering around the fields. Uh, And this man bumps into him as he wanders around the fields, hoping that it might never happen. And uh, in the end, he heads towards his brothers. Our fathers, still too busy, quote, still too busy for their families. So effectively, Jacob's lack of interest in the family sends Joseph into a scenario which by the end of the chapter will have him in a pit and his God-given dreams appearing like they're in absolute tatters. Our fathers still too busy for their families. Now, I think that we've seen all sorts of good changes. We talk, don't we, about the contemporary dad who's very hands-on. And I think there are new generations, depending on which generation you are, of fathers that are perhaps much more hands-on with parenting than perhaps uh, their fathers were or certainly their grandfathers uh, were. So in a sense, there's a huge shift in the right direction, providing families are sticking uh, together. However, there is still, I think, in the contemporary dad... That strain that I was talking about some moments ago, where it's easy to be distracted, where it's easy to become disengaged. You see, men are visual. That's why lingerie is so popular. Men tend to respond to what they see. Women, on the other hand, tend to respond to what they feel. Not right or wrong, we're different. And that's a sweeping generalization, and it might not be true for you, but it's generally true. So, men, it's easy to get distracted by what we see. Not necessarily something that's just physical, but it can also be an idea or an opportunity or, or a situation to seize, and we can become drawn by it. Men have this frailty to get busy with something that they see without perhaps understanding the impact on others that they're not seeing quite so clearly. Now, we can be busy in all kinds of ways. There's the classic busy with work. When men are able to see a window of opportunity, be it their career or whatever it might be, and they will give themselves wholeheartedly to it. Rob Parsons uh, used to, well, he wrote in some of his books, but he always used to say, these kind of men understand the phrase windows of opportunity. He hates to miss one of them. It means a time when there is a chance to do something. It could be the opportunity to net an important customer, develop new technology, or open up sales opportunities in a new market. 
The incredible thing is that so many fathers who've never missed an opportunity in their jobs or careers pass by the window of childhood as if it will never close. And so sometimes we can be so captivated by something that we've seen that we let down, let go of, disconnect with those that are around us. Now, it's a battle for everybody. Work is busy. Work demands so often more than it should. Work is a drain on uh, people's lives. But we're all in trouble in the end if we give our best at work and have something less than our best at home. We're all in trouble if we give our best at work and have something less than our best at home. And we have to fight for that. We, we, we together have to fight for that. Because if it doesn't work strong at the family level, the whole fabric of things will not work strong at all. It's not just work though. Fathers can be busy with passions, hobbies, interests. All kinds of good things. What are you passionate about? Some of you are going, passion? Mm, there's a thought. What we have um, tried to do in our family is to do things as a pack so that we kind of move together. I just kind of thought that was normal. Uh, and it, it was, it's only recently that, that I've reflected on what often happens in uh, the club where we go. And that's that most of the time in the, in the male changing room, there's loads of men on their own. And then there's me with our kids. And, and I've never really thought about that until recently. But it reminded me that one of the trappings of our lives is that we pursue the things that excite and feed us, sometimes at the expense of those who are around us. And so when you've spent all day at work, and then you've gone to the gym, and then you've sat in the sauna, and, and you, you, you've done all your, got all your angst out, you've done all your verbal processing, uh, when you finally get home to whoever might be at home, that there's, there's not a lot of relational energy left at that point in the day. And so it's moving towards the end of the day, and your energy has run out. So I'm fascinated, and sometimes the boys and I sit in the sauna with all these men, and they're giving it like this to each other, and you women won't understand that because you know that men don't talk. They just don't talk to you. But they're giving it all in the sauna, and when they get home, there's no words left because we haven't got very many words, us blokes, you know. So we have to be careful how we sow them. And it's not that any of that stuff is wrong, it's just that it's so easy to perpetuate this environment where, where, where most of the stuff happens individually and then when we come together we expect it all to be good. And the tragedy is that sometimes when we come together we haven't got the, enough energy, the most emotional energy to invest in whatever it is, uh, those relationships to make them happen in the way perhaps we want them to or that they uh, could. Now, that's only a snapshot 
There are other snapshots that are totally brilliant. On a Saturday morning, we're on the touchline. One of our lads is playing in one of the local Suffolk leads for his age. And there is a whole load of dads uh, all along the touchline cheering their guys on. And I was just just sharing the contrast with you that I've seen in those two places and wondering what it says about our rhythms and the way that we need to do our relationships and the way we spend our time and so on and so forth. But there's another type of busy. There's another type of busy that doesn't look very busy at all. And that's the busyness with self. Sometimes we find ourselves, and, and this isn't a male trait, this is a, a, a human trait, where, where we are emotionally drained and we spend all day too busy with our own weariness, too busy with our own heartache, too caught up in the things that are overwhelming us, that are pushing us down, that are crushing us, that we can't reach out because we're just overwhelmed with the weariness that we feel. And whilst we might have a lot of time, we can often, in the same way, live disengaged Because we just haven't got anything left. Too busy with our own self. Not sure how it's going to play out, but the storyline of cold feet. Um, Pete in cold feet is exactly that scenario. Where he's reached his middle age and he's self-absorbed in being overwhelmed with the stresses, the struggles, the things that haven't worked out in his life. And... uh, uh, and, and he's, he's draw, withdrawn away, disengaged, disinterested, got nothing to offer, nothing to give. The Bible according to Colfeet. Fathers, are you honestly still too busy for your family? And and what would the others in your family say? If you're going to ask them, brace yourself for the answer. If you're going to ask your spouse or your kids, be ready for the answer. Or perhaps more poignantly, is there something going on, as there was with Jacob, in your family dynamic, that you have been too busy to realize or to truly engage in. So how do we step in? How do we step into uh, what God is asking of us as fathers, both in natural fatherhood, both in missional communities, small groups that we lead, uh, other relational networks that we're responsible for, in the father role that we have in those environments? How do we step in and make sure that the stronghold of passivity, the stronghold of being too busy is broken. Firstly, I think, we need to make sure, obviously, that we be present. We all know, and we've all had it spoken back to us, and we all get irritated by it, that love is spelt... T-I-M-E. Love is spelt T-I-M-E. And it's really annoying... Because T-I-M-E can feel like it's in short supply. But it's the crucial task of parenting, whether it be someone who's new to life, whether it be someone who's new to the Christian life, someone that we're parenting in some way, to give our presence, to give our time. 
And you see, Jesus modeled when he set out with his disciples. He effectively said, I am going to give you most of my time. I invite you to come and be with me. And that was the first value that Jesus exerted over his disciples was that they should be with him, that time would really matter. Uh, And why is time so important? Because most of the lessons of life are taught not just by instruction, the things that we say, by people watching the way we behave and the things that we do. And Paul would later say the same thing. He says, you've got, you've got thousands of guardians, thousands of people that will just teach you stuff, but you haven't got very many fathers. And in that culture that Paul was addressing, the, the, the children would learn all the elementary rules of life by going to a teacher. And, but then once they'd mastered the, the, kind of, the, the principles, they would then go and stand at their father's shoulder in order to learn how to really live. And Paul says, you've got loads of people who just tell you stuff, tell you stuff, tell you stuff, tell you stuff, but you haven't got many fathers. Many people allow you to come and stand on your shoulder, uh, stand behind your shoulder and really learn from you. And, And what our kids have learnt the most from us has got nothing to do with what we say. But it's got everything to do with the way that we've allowed them to see us and to Be present with us because we are present with them. That's why this course on the Sunday morning, starting on the 2nd of October, is absolutely important. And many of us need to get ourselves there because it's going to help us think about not how we tell our kids the stuff, but how we be the stuff and draw them into an environment where they can model and watch what we uh, do. It's not just being present, though, is it? You've got to be emotionally present. You know, have you ever physically been somewhere where you've not actually been, like right now? (gasps) You've got to be emotionally present. Evan sometimes says to me, and don't you dare repeat this to him, Evan sometimes says to me, I hate it when you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what he feels in that moment, and sometimes you go, you're not listening, are you? And I'm a clever enough dad, I've got four, I'm clever enough now to be able to repeat it back even if I'm not listening. Okay, so I can, he goes, what did I say? So I can tell him what he said, but I've made him feel that I'm not listening. So it's not just that I'm there, Somehow I've got to be proper there. I've got to be emotionally present. And in order to have these times where we're present and we're emotionally engaged, they've got to be planned. And sometimes, because we are weird probably, but sometimes I know the observation that we feel a bit weird, because we plan quite a lot family time, we plan family goals, we plan things we're trying to do together because we know unless we plan certain types of time together as a family the relationships and the interaction just won't happen Uh, and in the same way that we plan things that we want to do in other spheres of our lives where we will plan in the same way meal times for example crucial time Uh, and what's the goal of the meal is it that we all have the food and wash up and clear up no not really The goal is that somehow we've connected in a way that's deeper than just the food. The food becomes just a means, just a mechanism by which we uh, connect with each other's lives. 
And so there's different ways in which we need to plan. One of the ways I think that we need to plan is to make sure that we have things that we do with our children that we can carry on doing with them. And it's the same if your child is in a missional community, if you're spiritually fathering something, exactly the same. Unless you have things that you do together, it's very hard to sustain the relationship in some kind of isolation. So over the years, as a family, we swum a lot. The reason swimming works for us is that we can all do it. And uh, uh, it's been one of the ways that we've made sure that as a family, we keep uh, connected. You might hate swimming. That's cool. Find something else that does exactly the same thing. So we need to be present. We need to be planned. And that involves us being practical. And this is um, more, I think, about us internally than it is about outward practice. You see, if we get to those spaces in the day, if we get to the meal, the family meal, so the focus, focal point of the day, and we're all too exhausted to care, it's a pretty naff meal. You've had meals like that. We've all had meals like that. But if the family meal is going to be the thing that really matters, then we need to approach that moment with a level of energy that we still have. Uh, And so there are practical ways in which we need to rhythm our lives so that when we get to those moments, we've actually got something to give. Uh, And and you know what it's like. It's like turning up at small group and not having anything to give. It's all a bit, because everyone's... And if everyone goes to the meal, mm, what's the meal going to be like? Hmm. And as fathers, as mothers, as leaders in a missional community, small group, you have the responsibility of setting something of some, some of the emotional energy that goes on in those spaces. And so, very practically, we need to make sure that we're not always exhausted. We need to make sure that we're not always distracted. Home is full of distractions, isn't it? Maybe not. Maybe your home's just perfect. Maybe it's all done. But usually, in a normal person's home, it's full of, because there's always the things that you still haven't done that need to be done. There's always the list. There's always the other things that need your attention. Can we play? Just let me, and then we'll play. Hands up who uses that strategy as a parent. The rest of you are lying. Can we play? Just hang on, and we, and we, just, and the brilliant thing about being a skilled parent is you can fit several things into that just let me slot before you get to the plate. Oh, it's it's bedtime. Oh. Shame. Off you go. And then at bedtime, between the cleaning of the teeth and the bedtime prayers, you can check your Facebook and post on Instagram. Because it's so easy to be distracted. Be practical. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared to seize the moment when it comes. So we're thinking about how does, a, uh, how does a parent that is tempted to be disengaged, too passive, how, how do we re-engage, how do we get on the money? We re-engage, we get on the money by being ready when those moments, little moments come 
for proper engagement, for proper conversation. You know what it's like. You've been with your children all day. They're driving you demented. You've got them into bed. You're almost out the door. And in a tone that's been different from the rest of the day, a little voice says, I was scared at school today. Susan pulled my hair this afternoon. What happens when you die? And Parenting Strategy 101 says something like, oh, we'll talk about that in the morning. Anyone ever done that? Liars, you little fibbers, you little fibbers. And you've got nothing left. And the last thing that you want is to have that kind of conversation now. But there is a little door of opportunity that has opened. And I promise you, in the morning, it will be shut. And somehow, with God's help, give us wisdom and insight to see and to seize the moments when they come. We'll talk about it in the morning. I doubt we ever will. It doesn't get any better when kids get older. When as teenagers or older than that, they barge into your bedroom in what feels like the middle of the night and lie on your bed. Are you asleep? Well, our eyes are shut and the lights are off. That should give you a clue, but we're not really asleep now. Seize the moment. Some of the best conversations. Seize the moment. Be prepared to have everything messed up. And then finally, uh, lastly, be a pioneer. You see, there are a million reasons. uh, A million reasons why we can't do any of this stuff. There's a million reasons why we're too busy why are we genuinely too busy? They're genuinely too distracted. We've generally got a, a thousand and one things to do. And, and, and we don't know where to start. And, and everybody around us is reaffirming the things that we need to be busy in, the things that we need to get done, the things that we need to complete, and so on and so forth. But maybe we need to be pioneers. We need to be bold enough to see a change. I know it seems really hard to leave work on time because no one else leaves work on time. But what if we were bold enough to do the right thing for others that God has given us? No one else has gone to the kids' sports day, but what if we were bold enough to ask, could I go for a couple of hours to my kids' sports day and this is how I'll make up that time, or this is the arrangement that I can come to. Would it be okay if I didn't have my lunch hour that day because I'd love to walk my kid to school? Would it be all right if I left slightly early on Friday because of whatever it might be? If we don't push the culture, the culture itself will never get pushed. And you've got to see what works for you. I work a lot of evenings. One of the flips of working a lot of evenings is that three times a week, two, two times on Monday to Friday, I come in early, three times a week I get to walk my kids to school. Now, you can't do that. Some of you can, some of you can't. But you can do other things. 
But whatever it is, we've got to do something. And if we can't do something, then something somewhere needs to change and we need to pray that into being in our lives. There may be a hundred reasons why you can't, but you could be a pioneer. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense, does it? Sometimes you just can't work it all out. I remember when I got to the point when I realized that me working on a Saturday night... And I thought I had to work on a Saturday night, otherwise I'd have nothing to say on a Sunday morning. So that, it wasn't that I hadn't prepared my sermon, I'd done that on a Thursday. But I still thought if I hadn't really got my head around it on a Saturday night, then Sunday would just be... But when God convicted me about the way I was spending my time on a Saturday night, I couldn't work out how I would do that extra work and still be ready for the Sunday, and how it would all... I couldn't suss it. And I heard God say, just trust me. So I won't tell you which sermon series, but on one of them, I just went, stuff it. I'm not going to work on Saturday night again, and I haven't ever since. And no one, no one said, no one said that was a lot worse than your normal bad sermons. (laughs) You lot didn't notice. The only thing that I regret now is that I worked all those Saturday nights before because they turned out to be a complete waste of time. But I thought I absolutely needed to do that. But in God's economy, he said, no, there's something different. And so that can be true for all of us. There are some things that we just can't see a way through. And God says, you've just got to trust me. You've just got to wing it. You've just got to go for it. And, uh, and God's in there, in there with it. Uh, and there's so many things, perhaps, rushing through our minds. Uh, just a, a few final comments. Uh, the main one is this. Small steps make a big difference. Small steps make a big difference. One small step might be to get on that parenting course. Uh, I remember when I was at work, so I wasn't, I wasn't a child, I was an adult, and I was at work, and um, work was going, it wasn't here, but work was going kind of not as it should have been going, and I was having a particularly difficult time, and I just remember one day when my dad walked from his office a couple of miles to my office, on a summer's day, he brought some lunch, we went in the park, we sat in the park, and we had some lunch. Now, the reason that 30 years later I can tell you that is an indication of the impact that it had on me in that moment. It wasn't difficult, it wasn't costly, but it said something very profound to me. We can all do that for one another. We can all speak that profoundness, big difference, by taking small steps. And the second thing to say is that there are... Many of us that lament that our parenting wasn't what we wanted it to be. And for some of us, that's absolutely the case. And in these moments, God says to all of us, in the end, I am your father. And I can be the father that you need. And as John wrote towards the end of the New Testament. It's amazing. He says, Behold what manner in the old language of love that God's lavished upon us that we can be called children of God. And some of us just need to be reminded that our earthly experience was not what we wanted it to be. But there is a Father in heaven who invites us to be his children and to be fathered by him in a way perhaps we've never felt we've been fathered in an earthly sense. And then finally, finally, good fathers 
have wayward kids. Good fathers have wayward kids. And there's no room for shame and guilt and all the rubbish, the condemnation that comes and all the what-ifs and the if-onlys. We hand our children to God. And His grace is more than enough for their needs and ours. Let's pray.